One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Carlton Cole and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. We'll discuss what it's like to play and train with some of the best strikers in the world, how Carlton's off-field antics affected him on the pitch and what it felt like to score for his boyhood club in the Premier League. Now Cole. Seems to fancy a crack here. Cole! And the Chelsea youngster has done it! You're listening to Upfront with Carlton Cole and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. Well, today's guest is a former England international with a bubbly personality who played 293 games for West Ham United, scoring 68 goals, enjoying promotion from the Championship and he was part of the Chelsea squad that won the Premier League under Jose Mourinho. He was popular at Charlton and played with some of the biggest names in the game, including Gianfranco Zola, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Hernan Crespo, Didier Drogba, Carlos Tevez, Teddy Sheringham and many, many more. A very big hello to the infectious Carlton Cole. Hello. How are you doing, Sam? You're right, mate. Good, thank you. You played with some big names, didn't you? Who did you learn the most off? Can I say nobody? <laughs> didn't, didn't quite stick with me. Like, I was watching them, but I weren't really learning a lot. But um, nah, nah, to be fair, I learned a lot. Um, what I would say from like players like Gianfranco Zola, even Paolo Di Canio, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank to an extent as well. Um, I used to love watching Ida Johnson, even Tori Andre Flow play. I got a few tips from like Hernan Crespo as well. So Hernan Crespo, his movement was unbelievable. Like I don't think he got the credit for his movement to get on into position because he wasn't the quickest player, but he'd get into positions where you think, wow, he's in an, he's in on goal here, but he de- he hasn't used his pace. So it just shows you what sort of um, player and natural born gifted goal scorer he was. Were you always a centre forward? No, I wasn't. When I was playing my, my Sunday league side, uh, Walpole Wanderers, I was a centre midfielder and that's where I got scouted. Um, and I was playing centre midfield for my school, played centre midfield for my um, my borough, um, district side and um, county, all the way up to county. And then um, I got selected to go on trial to Chelsea as a centre midfielder. So that's where I started. What sort of centre forward were you in terms of yeah, what, how would you describe yourself? Because I think you went sort of almost not through an evolution, but you you played mm. a certain way over, uh, under different managers. But if you, we'll get to, to to who changed you and how who used you differently later on, but yeah. let's talk about what you thought you were. Oh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> um, I'm trying to think about. Well, were you a goal scorer? No, were you no, a you know, were you a link man? Were you the big target man? Did well, you use your feet more? Well, as younger days, I was. Obviously, as I said, I was a centre midfielder, so I liked, I liked getting on the ball. I was good with my feet. As I grew older, 
obviously my ch- position changed and I started scoring loads of goals at youth team level from centre forward. So I was actually like a link up sort of man. I wasn't a goal scorer, but other people would argue say that when I was younger I was a goal scorer. But as you know, as you as the competition gets better and the um, people that you play against get better as well. Those goals that I was scoring in the youth team, loads of them, by the way, you can't do it up in the first team. So the, the goals start diminishing. But my uncle always said to me, listen, you've got to have more to, more to your game than just goals. As in a person of your stature and build, you should be able to bring in players in. So, so when the ball comes up to you, you should be able to trap it and lay it off, get in the box. When the ball comes up to you, just try and control it and uh, make sure that the other players come and join your join the attack. So that sort of you wouldn't call it assist, but just to make sure that you get up the field and you've got someone big and strong to hold it to keep the ball, it helps the team so much. So my uncle always said to just try and practice that part as well, and then the goals could be a bonus as well for you. Can we warm you up with a couple of quick fire questions? Get a sense of uh, who Carlton Cole is. When you look back at your career, what's your favourite goal? My favourite goal, ooh. It's got to be your first um, professional goal. My first goal was um, up at Middlesbrough for Chelsea. But th- the thing about that goal is like I didn't even know I was going to be playing that game. I had a good Johnson. He got injured in the warm-up or something and then I had to take his place and uh, Hasselbank was injured as well. So it was me and Zola started up front. As a boyhood like um, supporter and fan of the club, to make your debut alongside Zola is <laughs> just what um, dreams are made of. So... I didn't let it phase me, funnily enough. I was a bit dumb to it. Like, I didn't realise what was going on and I scored, the, I scored the first goal in it. So that's, that feeling, scoring your first goal and settling the nerves early on in the, go, in the game was unbelievable. What's your most important goal, do you think? I would say playoff final. Cole is the only target to aim at. It might come to Carlton. Goal! The big man delivers for West Ham on the big occasion. There was so much riding on that game and to score a goal in the, at Wembley for your club is just was an unbelievable that, that was for West Ham under Sam Allardyce to bring you back into the Premier League, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was massive. It was like, this, they call it the £60 million game and we needed the money, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you needed the money because you had to pay all your fines. Oh, not, not just that. I, was, I, I cut my wages enough. I wanted to get back to the big time, mate. <laughs> I took a wage cut to, to, to play in the, um, in the Championship. Who was your childhood hero? Anyone that was like obviously a striker like that took the eye. I used to love Ian Wright. I used to love Les Ferdinand, Tino Asprilia. I used to watch these players and and uh, I used to just think, wow, this is what I want to be when I'm older. I don't know how I'm going to do it, <laughs> but I'm going to try my best to get to where these guys are. Funnily enough, I did something. So <laughs> I'm quite happy with what I achieved. What manager got the best out of you? Um, I would say Gianfranco Zola did. Um, obviously I'd played with him and then obviously when he came into West Ham as my manager he kind of instilled a kind of confidence in, into me um, it wasn't just him as well it was Steve Clark there and uh, Kevin Keane backroom staff as well that really helped me and my game get to the next level and that I ultimately had a good season and I, I have to mention Alan Kerbishley as well because he set the ball rolling for me to get to that level where Gianfranco could take me to the next level to get into the get an England call up and um, be recognised who was your favourite strike partner? I used to like playing with um, Dean Ashton. I used to like, I thought he was an excellent striker. He always made me look good because if I'd set him up, he'd, I knew he was going to score. So, <laughs> so I'll get an assist, do you know what I mean? But one person I have to, that sticks out 
I'm going to go for a, a, a player called Dee McKayley's. Dee McKayley off the post and turned in for 2 0. Dee McKayley's effort back off the post. Colton Cole simply doesn't miss from there. He said to me, he goes, Coley, look, you're, my, you're the striker, you're the number nine. And no one has ever said this to me before, by the way. He said, you're the number nine and you're there to score goals. I'm going to be the number 10. I'm going to feed you. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I've never had that. Usually strikers are quite selfish and they want to get the, all the goals. But he was like, no, you've got to score. I'm going to make you score. So that, that's one person that sticks out in my mind. What was your worst miss? <laughs> Is this a trick question? <laughs> mate, I've had loads of them. Like, I can't even... Um... Oh, mate, what's my worst miss? I don't even know. I can't. Do you know what? I'm, I get a bit delusional. When I do miss a chance, I blank it out, so I don't remember them again. That's good, though, isn't it? <laughs> that, that, it that, that's a good trait to have as a striker. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember them, but there's been loads. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I just, you've got to be delusional a bit to be a pro. You've got to set your mind away from the bad things so you can concentrate on the positives. Which defender was your toughest opponent? The obvious is like Rio Ferdinand, Vincent Company. Didn't like playing against him. Robert Hooth. I used to play with Robert Hooth and um, the youth team at Chelsea. When we um, like went our different ways from Chelsea, it was always a hard battle because he knows me inside out and you just read my game. So he knows, Coley, I know you're going left here with that one movement, so I'm going to be there waiting for you. So he knows me inside out. So he was always a hard customer. And Shawcross, those two together were, it was really hard. Houthi was massive as well. He was massive, a big unit, big unit. So, yeah, he was hard to play against. But one person that did scare me um, when I first come onto the scene, we, play, we played a game against Lazio, Chelsea, and a friendly in Italy. Yap Stam. Oh, my gosh. When I saw him, like, I heard the rumours that this guy was a unit and he was aggressive and he was scary. So I've seen this and I've said... Do you know what? I don't fancy going up against him today. So I went on to the other side of the pitch. But one thing I did see with him as well, I looked at his the side of his head. I just saw veins popping out on his bald head. He's caught and caught this time. Still caught and caught. He's done it again. You were born in Croydon and you grew up on the Green Dragon Estate in Brentford. How did you get spotted by Chelsea? I mean, the distance between Brentford and uh, and Chelsea is not too far, but how did it come about? So basically, I was playing uh, for my school and uh, my borough as well. Obviously, there were scouts there. They'd been watching me for a little while, um, but I didn't know. And then he asked me to go on a trial. But mind you, before then, I actually went on a trial for Brentford. Because back in the day, before that, I used to pay £2 to go to Brentford in the community where you pay £2 and you train and they, you get all the, the the community, academy community coaches there that try to help you develop your game. So I went there. Then after that, I got to go to this uh, Brentford School of Excellence just to go on a trial. Uh, I didn't get in because <laughs> it was like I was there for about six, six seven weeks and I, they didn't say a word to me. So I just said, you know what? I'm not coming back and I see if they notice and if they see if, see if they call my phone and they didn't call. <laughs> so what I'd done, um, I just went back to the drawing boards, tried to get better and um, just played school football f- for the borough as well. And then uh, a guy called Bob Osborne um, got in contact with my Sunday league side and then they said, oh, can you bring him down to, to Chelsea? We'd like to see him. 
when did you believe that you could make a career out of football and in particular being a striker? That's probably one of my faults. I never believed. <laughs> I was just there. I was. I swear I was there and it was like a dream that I was there. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't believe that I'd actually made it to that level. And if I'd have believed in myself a bit more, I think I would have gone on to do bigger, better things. But um, it's just a, on hindsight, I'm just looking at it from hindsight view. I should have done a lot more in my, with my career than I actually put out. And only because I know that I, I didn't believe in myself the way I did. So like that question you just asked me is quite a, kind of a trick question for me. In terms of you say you didn't believe in yourself, mm. as a result of that not believing yourself, do you think you took it seriously enough? Yeah, I didn't. T- I don't. I don't think I took football seriously enough because I was thinking, "Ah, oh, I'm here." Until I got to about 21, 22, I didn't really have any um, dips. Like my career was just going up, and I didn't know any better. I didn't. I never had any setbacks. And then when I finally got setbacks, about 21, 22, when when managers were like not having me or they saw me that I had potential, but I wasn't getting to my potential, then I started to realize that. I've got to work harder. And that's when it started to click for me. Did you enjoy sort of like the trappings of being a Chelsea player while you were still living at home? Like you'd signed to to go and work in the academy. Then obviously you got into the first team. You were still a teenager. Um, Are you still living on the estate at this point? Um, So when I got into the first team, um, I was, I think I was 18, just turned 18. Mm. And um, yeah, I was still living on the estate. So obviously when you go down to the shops and you see all your old pals, they're like, well, I saw you on match of the day. Like, you know what I mean? I needed to get away from that because it was getting a bit too much. So I had to move my, my obviously myself and my mum out to the sticks. So we went to we went and moved to to Windsor. Um, so the club found it for us and everything, and found a place. And then we just we moved out there. You made your first team debut in April two thousand and two mm. when you came on uh, uh, for for Jimmy at Middlesbrough. How did it all come about? To be honest, like um, I made my proper debut, like I came on as a substitute against Everton at home. I remember that, and I just basically I come on and I, I was at Stamford Bridge, and I was just running about, and I was and I felt so out of breath. I was thinking, is this what it actually feels like? Like I haven't even touched the ball yet. <laughs> is this what you got to do? I was, I was I was almost like at the brink of suffocating because I couldn't I couldn't actually breathe. I was because it was so overwhelming as well. Um, but obviously when I I, I if I'd have got told I was starting against Middlesbrough the next game, I don't know what I'd have done. I probably wouldn't have performed the way I did. Mm. So the way it happened for me was perfect for my personality. Like, I didn't know that what was going on. I just thought I was on the bench and I might get on maybe at the latter stages. But I didn't know I was going to start the game. And... um that was that was crazy for me. The first day of the season in two thousand two three, this is all pre a, a, a sort of Abramovich era, and Claudio mm. Ranieri's in charge, and he takes a shine to you, doesn't he? He quite likes you. I think he said something like, "You are one of the best young players he ever worked with." How did that make you feel? Well, you never said it to me. <laughs> you said it to the papers. <laughs> it didn't say it to me, mate. I tell you, but um, I heard about it. I heard about. it. I was like, "Wow, that's a bit bit strong." Like out of. Everybody, your experience as a as a manager, I'm one of the best you've worked with, young players you've worked with. I was I was quite taken back from that. But as I said, he didn't say it to me, so it was all chit-chat in the newspaper for me. What was he like, Claudio Ranieri? I mean, because he was a bit of a tinker man and he had the reputation for changing the team every every couple of minutes. Was he a good manager? Yeah, he was a good manager. He knew his stuff. He knew what he wanted to go for. And um, he almost done it. He almost, almost won the league yeah. before he left. So he was a good manager. Um, and that was before the money came in. You could say that, but there was money still there. There was still money, but it wasn't as 
at the the level of what it is today. Do you know what I mean? Actually, that season, I remember the season we had to come fourth. Yeah. In the, um, to get Champions League, and we needed that money. So that's that's how um, life changed for Chelsea. Because if we didn't get fourth, we would have been we would have been in trouble. Now, yes, Gronkia. Chelsea have come from behind. They recovered from conceding that early goal to Sammy Hepier. I could have scored that game because I came on at the end. And if I'd have scored that game, I'd have been ah, oh, I'd have been elated. You've been made for life because oh, it wasn't mate. too long after that that Roman Abramovich did take over. But when Ken Bates was in charge during that era, what what was what was he like to deal with? I used to love him. I used, he was like my granddad. I think every year he gave me a new contract for no reason. <laughs> I swear to God, like, I just remember, and I remember his wife really, really well as well. She was lovely. Like I just, I just, I got just some fond memories. I used to go to his office and just chill out sometimes in Ken Bates' office. Can you imagine that? Like it's crazy. Like. But he just liked me like as, as like uh, his grandson or something like that. It was really good. On the opening day of the 2002-03 season, this is prior to that big dramatic end against Liverpool. Mm. And don't you come and score and score and assist on the first day of the season? What, what what was that feeling like? When I look back on it now, it's just all a blur. Like I was just just a kid, do you know what I mean? And I was just enjoying myself, doing my job, uh, playing football. And I remember that game. I just remember. I just went on a. I got the ball and I went on a Maisie. Seems to fancy a crack here, goal! And the Chelsea youngster has done it! Carlton Cole, sent on in a late gamble by Claudio Ranieri, repays his manager's faith, and from 2-0 down, Chelsea have levelled it at 2-all. That's when you've got that fire in your stomach and you've got, you've got no fear, and no one can tell you anything, and I just went on the Maisie and I slotted it. Well, it wasn't. I didn't hit it clean, but from outside the box... I put it um, right in the corner where the keeper couldn't save it. And that, that was amazing. And I think I set up the next goal to mm. win the game for Frank. I think Frank Lampard scored. So that's, that's when I thought, oh, I'm part of something big here. You end up, though, going off to Wolves very briefly, don't you? <laughs> what happened there? Why did, uh, what did you learn? Claudio Ranieri was fed up with my lateness and he sent me away. And Dave Jones needed a striker. And I wasn't available before, but because of my lateness... He sent me away and he did it. So he sent me away for a month. It was actually a punishment. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So he was so fed up with your lateness. Instead of finding you, he said, right, you can go to Wolves. Yeah, which actually, um, I had a great time there. I only scored one goal there, I think, out of five games or six games, whatever it was. But I had a great time there. Made for for Cole, who scores. First goal for the low knee from Chelsea. And celebrated in style. I got to play with, like, the ledge Paul Lintz, Dennis Irwin. I get to know these sort of people and... Uh, they were, obviously, they was coming to the end of their career and it was just nice to be rubbing shoulder, shoulders with those sort of guys. So I was really privileged to be an, in and amongst it. And they got promoted that year as well. Did you stop being late after that? Mm, no. <laughs> well, That's a no, for isn't a, it? For a, time, for, a t- for a period of time, I did. Like, I learnt my lesson. But what happened was, when I came back, when I got called back from loan, um, we were playing uh, Sunderland away mm. at the Stadium of Light. Stadium of Light and that... I came on a sub. I think we're losing the game or something. And then I, I scored. <laughs> uh, it wasn't just any goal, was it? It was a belter. Oh, it was left foot outside the box. Unheard of. Unheard of. Well, I've done it a few times now. But um, I remember um, Jimmy Floyd's Hasselbank. And because whenever you didn't pass the ball to him, he'd give you this stone wall look. Like this look, yeah. It could kill you. If you look at, if you caught eyes with him, it could kill you. He's like Medusa. 
Yeah, he turned you into stone. <laughs> like, he was that bad. So I remember when the ball come into me, he, he shouted my name, but I didn't, I saw him. I was like, nah, I'm going to take this. Audacity to shoot with my left foot outside the box. And he, I could see him. He must have been thinking, because I, I watched the replay. He must have been thinking, this guy, why is he shooting from outside the box with his left foot? Luckily enough for me, it went in. <laughs> This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Flicks it on chance here. Oh, he saved another one this time from Carlton Cole. No, Cole gets it on the rebound. Bossu saved the first one, but Carlton Cole's long legs pulled it down quickly, and the second strike was underneath the dive of the goalkeeper. And it's Gillingham three, Charlton two. The revolution comes at Chelsea shortly afterwards. You sign a six year contract, and then you head out on loan to Charlton this time. Mm. Matt Holland's the skipper there. Yeah. You had experienced pros like Chris Powell, Paolo Di Canio, Herman Herideson, Graham Stewart. What, what was it like at the Valley that year? It was an eye-opener. I've been used to Chelsea all my life, but I did um, go, obviously, have a little break away to go to Wolves. So I did see the different side to football. But when I went to Charlton, the team spirit was unbelievable. The fans were ridiculous as well. They were really good. And um, I had a great time there. I did um, under Alan Kerbishley. But um, my off-the-field antics got me in trouble a bit because um, I got into trouble with the law, as you do, and um, it got me... When you say as contra- you do, what, 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 what happened? Just the, like, the pitfalls of football, like people lying on your name, people putting yourself in scenarios that you shouldn't be around. And um, I had to learn the hard way. And it kind of f- threw me off track 
with my, my Charlton career, to be honest. Do you think that you had enough support? I mean, now we have a situation where you have lots of player liaison officers, agents, especially if the big players will put in teams that look after their players a lot better in a welfare way. Mm. Young men given a lot of money and a lot of fame at that time who may not necessarily be equipped to deal with it. Mm. Do, do you think that you that you had the support that you needed at the time? Oh, definitely not. Because um, the way Chelsea are now, player care is like their most valuable thing. Like they make sure that the player, even when they go on loan, they've got people to check up on them on loan and all that. Mm. So they come and visit you and that. We didn't get that back in the day. It was like, you go on loan, you go, you're left to your own devices. You know what I mean? And you're now that property of the club that you've gone on loan to. So they've got to look after that now. So it's it's changed. The game's changed. And I didn't I didn't have that support when I was going on loan all these times. I didn't really get it. So um and as a young pro as well, it is really sad. Because I, I was always homesick. Always homesick. And I'd always wanted to go back to mum's. Like we'll go further down the line when we start speaking about Aston Villa, but I've got a story about that too. It was a wake up call for me. Tell me what happened with Aston Villa. I just felt so homesick. I just wanted to get home all the time. So I was driving after training. I was driving from training all the way to London to sleep at home and then wake up in the morning and drive all the way back to training. That's about a two and a half hour journey, something like that? Yeah, I was doing that. Like, it was crazy. That's good for your back. I know. It wasn't good for my back, I tell you. <laughs> I got injured that season, funnily enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, I think we um, can pinpoint probably why. Yeah. So I didn't really get settled in at, at Villa and I wish I did. I wish I had a a more mature way of looking at things at that that stage. But as I said, the player care from your club wasn't there. I probably would have benefited from having player care from Chelsea because I was I always had that in the back of my mind, ah, oh, I'm I don't want I don't need to do well here. I'm going back to Chelsea next year. Mm. So I always had that in the back of my mind and that doesn't bode well for you. And referee Mike Dean blows the whistle and that is it confirmed. Chelsea are champions for a second successive season. Only the third time in their history. You did go back to Chelsea 2005-06. You're a bit part player in a, in a sense. You played nine games in the team that won the Premier League. What's it like at Chelsea now? You know, 2005-06, three years after your debut. What, what, what's the club like? It changed. It was like totally different. By for me, I felt so hard done by because before the money came in, obviously they had high hopes for me, and I was going to play a lot the next season. When that didn't materialise, I had to go out on loan. I felt hard done by anyway. So I was for two years. I was sulking basically. I was mm. sulking, and that that put me back because I could, I didn't know how to deal with it. The rejection, having to go on loan, do, doing all this stuff, where I I didn't realise that I needed to use that to catapult myself back in the frame I was just doing the wrong things and not concentrating on my football to improve so I was just in a sorry place at that time in my my career it's just one of those things you live and you learn but I wish I had that that support um, from from the club that could have helped me through those stages did you get a medal? oh (laughs) I thought I did but the one I was supposed to get (laughs) got thrown in (laughs) got thrown in the crowd (laughs) are you being serious? yeah yeah it was weird. So the medal that you were supposed to get for the Premier League title, when where you played nine games in that team, was tossed into the Matthew Harding so, by the by the manager. So I was. This is basically what it was. I was I was gonna get a medal because everyone was getting one anyway, right? So I got to nine games. I think you had to get to ten games. So what happened was we'd already won the league with like three or four games to go. That's when you get the boys in to get their medals and get the games, and uh, obviously. I hadn't graced myself with glory under Mourinho's eyes because he felt I was underachieving. 
and he didn't want me to get a medal basically it was quite obvious so he didn't play me in none of those games I was on the bench all of them didn't come on so it was like a personal vendetta and plus something happened um, during that season as well when I knew he wasn't having me like that because he thought I was wasting my career away so I didn't deserve to get a medal why did he think that? I was doing all the wrong things off the pitch I was going out clubbing I was going out party I shouldn't have been doing all that stuff because I just knew that I wasn't playing in the weekend so I was doing all the wrong things. How did he know that you were going out doing that stuff? Well, players will probably tell him. You'll find out through other avenues. Probably nightclubs even phoned him up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because that's what usually happens. Were you going out because you were frustrated with your career or because you were in with a crowd that, that, that wanted to, to do that? Were you going out with other footballers? What, what was yeah, the... I was going out. It was always with other footballers. There was a going out culture back then and I was in the thick of it. We had loads of players going out all the time. Even like the Chelsea lads were going out. But there was a, there was a right to go out because they deserved it because they were playing. Mm. With me, I wasn't playing and I'm going out. I've got to be working harder to get back in the squad. Hindsight again, now I know why uh, Mourinho done what he done because I wasn't working hard enough for it. Did it work though? Not right away. It worked later on when I got to West Ham and um, I started realising a few home truths. And that's when my, my, my career started to progress. Derami, and now Faubert as West Ham look to extend their lead. And it's in! Carlton Cole celebrates! And West Ham can breathe a little easier! In 2006, West Ham, Alan Pardew, take you across town and tell you that despite the fact that they seem to have a whole coterie of strikers, mm-hmm. we're going to move them on, don't worry. You're going to be... <laughs> You're going to be our number one. But that doesn't happen, does it? And once again, you find yourself in a situation where everybody's still there and mm. you're competing with a, a a huge amount of strikers, like you were at Charlton, mm. like you were at Chelsea. How did you deal with that? What's in your mind at that stage? I was actually in Sierra Leone in Freetown with my uncle and he was just going to visit um, my grandma that was over there at the time. I'd actually done my, um, my medical before I went with Tottenham because... Um, I thought I was going to be sold that season to go to Spurs. But then I got a phone call before, this is before my holiday, by the way, I got a phone call by um, Roman Abramovich's, um, not chaperone, but some of the guys that he's always with. And they told me to come um, to the bridge because he's just heard that I've just had my medical at, at Spurs and that's, and he didn't, he didn't give the okay for it. So I had to drive back to Stamford Bridge in the gym and have a meeting. He says, you're not going Spurs. We don't do business with Spurs, <laughs> basically. On top of that, he wanted me to go to CSK Moscow. That's his other club over there that he, he was involved in. He wanted me to go on loan there. And I was like, go on loan to Russia. <laughs> and these times I was playing England under 21s. I had aspirations to playing for England. If you go, and back in them days, if you was to go abroad, it's not like now, like the kids can just go abroad and still get seen and, and still get, have a chance of making the England squad. If you went abroad then, you were not getting looked at at all. So for me, I was like, I ain't going to Russia. And plus it's racist. <laughs> I ain't getting shouted at because of the colour of my skin. I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself in that. So I told him no. And then I said, listen, well, I'm going to go away now. I'm going to go think about it and what I'm going to do with my, f- to further my career. And hopefully my agent's working for me. So I get a phone call while I was in Sierra Leone that um, Pardew was interested in me and he wanted to take, had, have a little chat with me when I got back. So I come off the plane, they got a room. 
I was just in there. I didn't know I was going to sign. Well, this is at the airport. At the airport. I just come off the plane. Fresh off the plane, mate. Like, <laughs> and then um, he was there and I think the chief exec was there too. So I was like, oh, this is special. This is nice. This is nice. This is the way to do it. Do you know what I mean? I feel wanted. Do you know what I mean? So I said, do you know what? Forget about it. I just want to sign. I'll sign with you. No problem. And he said, oh, we've got Bobby Zamora at the moment, Dean Ashton, Marlon Harewood, Teddy Sheringham, Bobby Zamora. So five strikers, right? So they said, oh, we're going to move a few on. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, he's going to be... So you're, he said, you're going to get a lot of playing time with us. So I said, oh, I'll sign. So I signed there and then on that promise. Come near the end of the window, no one had moved on, right? So I'm thinking, I'm there scratching my head. <laughs> thinking, what's, what's going on here? Is anyone moving or what? Because this is like, a, this is a fierce competition for places right now. But don't worry, I'm used to it. I'm used to fighting for my spot. And then um, Tevez walks through the door with Mascherano. <laughs> So now I'm probably sixth choice or seventh at this time. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what the hell? How am I gonna how am I gonna break through this these lot now? There's no, no chance. So I just gotta bide my time. And at that time, I hit the nightclubs again because I'm not I'm not focusing. Do you know what I mean? I'm still doing the wrong things, and I'm not giving myself the best chance to crack crack it into the first team. The manager changes. I think he made eight Premier League starts that year. The team struggles to stay up. There's the Tevez Mascherano row, which is going yeah. on in the background. Did you ever think about leaving? Yeah, I did. The only way I got back into that, well, got into the team was a lot of injuries. I get my spot and I get my starting berth. Basically, he was down to his bare bones, so the only person he could turn to was me. And um, he said, "I oh, Cole's not a bad player, but I don't really like him, obviously, because <laughs> of what happened before. So he had to use me and I ended up starting, I didn't have, I had a shaky start. I wasn't really too good. And then that's when I started to come into my own. And then Gianfranco Zola takes over and all of a sudden you start to thrive. Yeah. So it's, that's why I had to mention Kerbishly earlier, because if it wasn't for him to get those regular games, I wouldn't have taken my life. I'd still be doing the same things, being in the same rotation, going out clubbing, doing all the wrong things. Now I'm, I've grown into a responsible person because I know the team depends on me because I'm starting and there's no other person to start. So I've got to keep myself in tip-top shape. So that's when I, my progress started to go um, get better for me. And um, it, was, it, was a, it was a funny one because I didn't realise how good I was still. Um, and obviously I was getting booed by the crowd because I'm not the guy that they wanted. So I had to go through all the boos and... It was um, an eye-opener just to get that regular spot and have some responsibility. And Psychologically, I on does it. that hurt? Yeah, yeah. That's why I said, that's why I'm saying to you, I never um, had a lot of confidence because of that. Because I, I was never anyone's first choice. I was just an option. So when, you're, when it's like that and you start to realise that's what you are, you start, your form starts to dip. And what I should have done, I should have used that to fuel me to get better. But I didn't. I, it, it was a negative... I use it in a negative way. So Gianfranco Zolo putting the confidence in you that he did, does he do much other than tell you that you're going to be his first choice and all of a sudden you get better, you have the confidence to go and express yourself? Well, and it just makes me think, mate, if someone had actually done that to you earlier on, you might exactly. well have done even more. Exactly, but do you know what it is? I got bored of the lifestyle anyway, footballer's lifestyle, as you say, like going out, clubbing, being the man in the... Who wants to be the man in the club, really? Like, you get bored of it. You, I know, maybe you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get to a certain level, you've done it all, you're like, ah, oh, what am I known for? Am I going to be known for just a bit, bit part player or am I going to make a little bit of history here? And I've got an opportunity to do it. So all of these things culminate into one 
I felt it was my time. And obviously, when Gianfranco, Gianfranco come through the door, I knew that I could, I had a little run of games and I knew I could do it now in the Premier League consistently. Now, when Gianfranco came in, he obviously saw what, how I was progressing and he was very interested in taking me to the next level. And obviously, I had Steve Clark there, who was my youth team manager. So he knew me inside out as well. So it was just a blessing that I had someone I'd played with and knows me and knows my personality and knows all I needed was a little bit of loving um, to take me to the next level. And um, that's what happened. It's so fascinating, isn't it, that you know, so many people plot their careers and so many young players come through and they do so well at youth team level and maybe in their first outings in the, in the first team and then they take the wrong move, hook up with the wrong manager, circumstances change, there's an injury or there's a change of gaffer and all of a sudden... You, you never hear of them again or, mm. or their career doesn't take off in the way that you that you expect. So I suppose your advice would be to any younger striker coming through would be make your move carefully. When I was getting told I'd got to go to this, um, this club on loan, that club on loan, I had no actual say in it really. The only say I had it was when I rejected Charlton for the second season because I wanted a new challenge because obviously I'd gone through um, a bit of heartache and turmoil off the pitch. Nothing left to make me feel small. Luck has left me standing so tall. Parker for West Ham. Dimakaley. Noble. This is Besser from West Ham. Now Cole. Oh, what a fantastic goal. What a brilliant West Ham United goal. And Cole's finish was fantastic. In August 2010, you've had a, a really good spell with West Ham United and all of a sudden you're getting linked with Liverpool. Did you know about it? Is it true? Yeah, it was. Um, so I was away with England. I remember Stevie, Stevie Gerrard coming up to me, goes... It looks like it's kind of happened, Geese. Like, basically, he's the captain. Everybody knows that he knows everything that's going on at the club. Mm. So I thought I was there trying to keep it quiet because I knew my agents had told me, listen, this, isn't, this might be getting getting done. And I was like, I'm not really bothered if it does or not at the time because I was, I was doing so well for West Ham. And I don't really like going out of London, as you can see, because I've, I've been scarred before like with that Villa thing. I was thinking, am I going to perform up there? Will it really, really work out for me? I don't want to go. Like, I just wanted to stay within my comfort zone because that's the t- sort of guy I am. Like, I like to this stay. Is with... Liverpool, though, in my head, that's the way I was feeling. Like, mm. it wasn't about oh, it's Liverpool. I've got to jump at it. It was never like that. It was like the type of guy you'll see that I am. Obviously, I stayed at one club when we got relegated. Took a wage cut to stay there. That's the sort of guy I am. Do you know what I mean? I don't really like change like that. And if I was to go Liverpool, then the pressure's on. I, I saw a lot of. Um, other players they've gone up there and just not done it so I was thinking I'm actually happy in my bubble here <laughs> like let me just chill out like I don't want to be a journeyman as well like, I just want to chill if the club was needed the money I would have gone do you know what I mean but they decided not to do the deal because Karen Brady said that she didn't have a replacement for me which was fair enough so I was like okay no problem so I didn't keep I didn't cause a fuss I wasn't really that bothered so you take a a, a pay cut and you stay and it's your most prolific period in a club football shirt, isn't it? You scored more goals that season than you scored in any other season. As I said, I was not known for to be a renowned goal scorer. I was more of a target man, bring people into play, 
make a nuisance of myself up front. And when I, I do grab a goal, it's a nice little bonus, do you know what I mean? Mm. But I wasn't the guy to say, oh, Colton, you've got to go and score all the goals, do you know what I mean? I would, I'm not that sort of player. I was the guy that will probably pin back the defence and you guys can gradually come up. And then if I nick a goal at the end or a goal here and there, but you'd see my work ethic, I'll be, I'll be a nuisance. So that's the t- type of player I am. And then obviously going into, um, going into that season, I felt that it was a bit more easier to score. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, as I was explaining to you at the start, saying as you go up the leagues, I'd, I started, remember, I started at the top. I didn't get to progress and build my way up to be a goal scorer. I had to just start from there and then use my attributes the way you wanted to use it. So that was a bit of a weird season because I was like, now I know I can score quite regularly in this league. What was he like to work with, Sam Allardyce? I actually grew on him and he grew on me. Like, it was one of those ones. He won't tell you, but he did try to sign me once. And it was that, that period um, when I was looking at other clubs. And obviously that window, I, I chose West Ham. He was one of the ones that wanted to sign me to go to Bolton. And I obviously turned it down because I didn't want to go to Bolton. North, north of <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Gap, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if he took that personally and that's why he wanted to get rid of me when he came in as well. <laughs> um, I've always had enemies in this game, I'm telling you so. Carl is the only target to aim at. It might come to Carlton. Goal! The big man delivers for West Ham on the big occasion. When you look back on your, your career, you mentioned the most important goal was the goal that you scored at, at Wembley. To get the, the team or to help get the team back, you came up with the assist for the Vazte goal as well to get them back to the Premier League. What was that day like? Because I remember the, the sights and the sounds of it and what it was like to be in the, in the ground that day. But what was it like for you? I was well prepared for that day. Me, myself, personally. No China Whites on Thursday nah, before then, nah, nah. <laughs> Nothing like that. Because I remember... At the end of the season, obviously, you had a big, like, I think it was a 10-day gap. Then you play. the So we had to be good all the way through that. Like, it was training, constant tactics and all that. And then on the day, all that preparation that we'd done, we didn't perform on the day. We still wasn't really good. And the thing about it, when you saw our form, we drew a lot of games that season. Mm. And But we were quite confident, quietly confident, because we knew that we could beat Blackpool because we'd, we'd slaughtered them at theirs and at ours as well. So we was thinking, ah, oh, this is Quidzin. Definitely going to walk over this team in the final. Sam Allardyce, he's really big on, um, he's really big on uh, like sports psychology. And he said, oh, do you guys want to go to Wembley so you can envision winning this game? So going on the pitch, having a look around, because some of the players hadn't played in, at Wembley before, but I had because I'd already played for England there and I kind of knew the pitch a bit. I said, I put my hands up, I said, I want to go. And I think it would be beneficial for the for the group to go too. Well, I got voted out, so no one actually, <laughs> no one actually went and says, "Oh, Carl, you're so busy. Put your hand down." Like no one wants to go to the ground before and envision and have a. I was like, because I was really big on that at the time. I was wanting to envision success on the pitch. So let's go yeah. in there, go in the middle of the pitch, and have a look around. Do you know what I mean? And envision yourself scoring that winner or winning the game. So I was really big on that. But no one else wanted to go with me. And if you didn't go as a team, then you ain't going at all, in you? So I already had in my head, because I'd played on that pitch before. So when the final came, I was kind of familiar. And I, look, I'm a sort of guy, I love pressure anyway. When the chips are down, I feel that I can, I, you could depend on me and I'll, I'll come through for you in the end. So that's the way I felt on that day. And I was like, no matter what, ha- what happens here, I'm going to be dependable. In 2009, you get called up for England by Fabio Capello. 
seven years after making your debut, you're about to go and represent your country at a senior level for the first time. What's that phone call, text message, however it came at the time, like? And what does it make you feel? I got told by um, my physio, because obviously the physio gets to know who's in the squad first. So they would ask, is he fit? Is he this? Is he that? So the physio come to me and says, listen, it looks like you're in the squad, mate. Well done. Congratulations. So that's how I found out. Well, nicely taken by Beckham. He still wants to impact here and has rolled it through for Carlton Cole. Onside for England. Cole denied by Mark Chayner. You could have almost had the perfect debut, don't you? Because you come on and you have a shot cleared off the line by Carlos Marquena. Is that right? See, you can't even remember his name, can you? Like, that's, <laughs> that's how bad it is. Like, he just came into football just to ruin my day that day. <laughs> like, he can't, he, I did, I've never heard of that player before. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then he's just there going diehard to, to, to ruin my day. Like, I was a, Bex put, by the way, Bex put me through, by the way. So that was, I had to finish it. So I've gone around the keeper, Rayner, put it, I thought I put it in, I was about to wheel off. This geezer comes from nowhere. I was like, oh, wow. Clears it off the line. Yeah, I've never heard of him after that. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said he, was a, he had a vendetta against me for my whole life. <laughs> as far as England are concerned, do you, do you think that you, I mean, because you were part of the squad for a long time. You only, I think, you bought, how many games did you play? Seven? Yeah, yeah but the it's same, weird. But you were in the squad for ages. <laughs> Mate, that's why I know I was just there for banter. It's just that's the only reason I could have been in, involved in that squad for so so long. I think it was over a space of like three, four years, wasn't it? Mm. Seven seven appearances. Come you on. just get kept, you get called up all the time. I was always the fifth striker, fifth choice, always. But I didn't start no games. But you kept getting called up, so they obviously thought you had value. Were you just well, really I was, funny? I must have been just funny, mate. I saw, <laughs> It's either that or I was a great trainer. <laughs> you obviously enjoyed your time with England. And, and like you say, you were not always on the right road in terms of professionalism sometimes. Mm. And maybe if you had your time again, you might be a little bit more yeah. nuanced. Or even if you had just a better guiding hand. Over the last little while, there's been a lot of headlines about Phil Foden, Mason Greenwood, what they've got up to. Obviously, other players have been involved in that before. Mm. I suppose... What would you say to those guys? Because I, I, I don't think sort of killing them in the media and headlines no. constantly sort of revolving around their off-the-field behaviour is necessarily a helpful thing. But as someone who has been in that situation, what advice would you give young players who very quickly come onto the scene, are told that they're brilliant, given a lot of money and a lot of fame and 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 probably more attention than they've ever had before. What, what would you say to them in order to try and guide them in a way that maybe you weren't guided? Be vigilant. A lot of people come with a lot of smiley faces, but they're not really your friend. Choose your the people that advise you wisely. And sometimes it could be your family as well that that's actually doing you wrong and you don't even know it because you've got their trust. So you just got to be vigilant and wary and and follow good examples that you can see that's a good example what does he do it from day to day ask questions what are you doing as to be a to be the person you are and be this model pro and that everybody loves in the media and everybody just ask questions and you if you get close to what they're doing then you've got a chance but if you go down the the wrong path as in get carried away with the lights and it's, and you know what I, I i grew up in london and london's a hard school <laughs> like it's so intense in London. Like sometimes I do wish I had, I could have grown up up north a bit and then seen 
um, football from a different way. But when you're in this microwave, London, to grow up here and uh, and to get to a certain um, level of success in football, it is hard. You just got to have the right people around you and you got to have the right character to come out of um, controversial situations because eventually I did. But it took me until I was about 24, 25. I was still in that bubble. Obviously, there's players that really dedicate themselves to their profession and maximise their, their talent. So I'm thinking of Harry Kane, who, who mm. you know, doesn't do anything apart from eat, sleep, drink, walk, <laughs> football. That's all he does. Yeah. Um, Mr. Boring. <laughs> yeah, he is. But, yeah. but would you say it's worth being like that because your career is so short and you can either achieve great things or you can just middle along? Listen, it depends on your personality. He's obviously a model pro. He puts his career paramount to everything. I've seen his success, how it's climbed to the person he is today. I remember playing against him when he was playing for Norwich. He was okay back then, do you know what I mean? He wasn't bad. But then you just he must have just turned into a different beast and then just said, you know what, I want to be the best. And he's done everything possible to get to that stage and the stage what we see now. Like, so now I think he's gone another level again. When I look at somebody now and they're wasting their career doing the wrong things... I was in that bubble as well, to be honest. I, I kind of probably had the strength of character to get out of it. Trust me, I had to find that deep within myself. When you're getting booed by your own fans and you've got to go still out and put out in a performance to change their minds, that's what I was doing. That's, how, that's why I was always fighting for, for my respect. If you've got that character as well, you might have a chance. But if you get carried away with all the glitz and glams and the, um, the girls and the cars and all this sort of stuff, that's all short term. You want to leave a legacy in this world, you've got to work for it. You've been listening to Upfront with Carlton Cole and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or want to catch up on previous episodes from the series, you can listen on the TalkSport app via the Game Day podcast feed. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.